welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that talks about middle ground in life, life as we know it. <laughs> My name is Jenny Omani. And I'm Annika Buckle. Uh, thank you for listening to support this um, podcast collaboration. We also would love if as a part of your gratitude for listening to us, you would share across your social media platforms, you would hop on and give us a nice little maximum star review and say nice things in the comments about us as podcasters. Some days that is the coffee that gets us out of bed. Just kidding. The coffee that gets us out of bed is coffee, but we really like it and appreciate it. <laughs> Nothing can replace coffee in all its goodness. Um, Okie dokes. Uh, no trigger warnings today. I don't think so. I don't think there's anything triggering. Uh, we are going to be talking about autism and ADHD predominantly in girls. So if that, for some reason, hearing that um, makes you feel not good, then maybe that's considered that a trigger warning. But otherwise, um, there's really nothing particularly triggering content-wise. Um, so... The backstory to this chat today is that um, for about the last year, my family has been, I should say me, it has been me, the rest of the family has, you know, joined in over the course of time, but it's been me, has been very strongly advocating for one of our kids to be assessed for autism. And we finally got the diagnosis this week. And I think that feels so weird to be like, yes, we have an autism diagnosis because I think uh, I know that that diagnosis like that can really come with a whole range of um, feelings. I, I imagine some people would be utterly devastated um, all the way to me where it's like a huge feeling of relief. Um, and I mean, it's a spectrum disorder. So I think that it's safe to say that the responses are probably also on a spectrum. <laughs> um, so if it comes across as like crash or, you know, like lacking tact for me being sort of excited about this. Um, I think that's because you don't have context yet. Um, but I genuinely am so, so relieved with this. And Annika knows because she, since day one, we have gone back and forth, um, you know, as this sort of journeys unfolded. And I really wanted to pop in here. This felt like the right venue being week zero. So today is a Friday we had our initial diagnosis presented to us on Wednesday and then had the sit down with a psychologist um, today. So this is like super new information for us. Um, and it isn't because I've also known it like inside for a really long time. So it, it isn't new information for me. But it just felt like this was a good place to have a bit of a discussion about it. Um, anytime I've mentioned... Uh, investigations into neurodivergence on Instagram. And I'm not saying this in the like, I've had so many DMs. Like I get <laughs> flooded with direct messages and I do not have a large Instagram account. So I've got like, I don't know, like just under like 9,000 followers and I do not have a ton of engagement. Like I, it's not an Instagram account that's been particularly like niched or purposeful for a very long time I was kind of like a mommy Instagram blogger in like 2016 but like I don't belong in any niche or influencer <laughs> space really and I get absolutely like dozens and dozens of dms like I can't reply to them because I want they're such um like heartfelt messages and I want to be able to actually respond with a heartfelt response and it's exhausting because there's so many of them in like the best way 
And every time I mention it, all of these people, like dozens and dozens of people, like, like I'm talking like 60 messages over an evening with one Instagram story sharing something about neurodivergence assessments. And these are some of them are people I know personally who have never told me that they had um, sus suspicions about neurodivergence within their child. Some of them are total strangers, but it is an overwhelming response. And there's clearly a real need for conversation about this. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I've lost my voice because I, on a side tangent, I took a night or daytime decongestant at night two nights ago. <laughs> And it was which I just not, need to pop in like not beneficial for my sleep. <laughs> daytime medication should not be blue. Blue is nighttime it was blue. color. Everybody knows this. So right. I shouldn't have to just, read the package. No, blue is nighttime. <laughs> Those are the rules. I didn't make the rules and neither did you, but clearly somebody is not uh, following them. <laughs> well, I mean, I am a nurse. I really should be able to read packaging. <laughs> Anyways, the not sleeping for a night has really taken its toll on my voice. So don't mind my croaky screwed up voice, but uh, the other thing, I mean, <laughs> just to hop in, oh, like, yeah, kind of walking with you in this journey, I think kind of coming back to this, like, it's a relief to get this diagnosis. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, <laughs> we were watching a Christmas movie kind of over the holidays where um, and I, not, it's not like a great movie. It's actually like weird. <laughs> and like, I haven't decided if it's bad or not, but it's called The Family Stone and it has Sarah Jessica Parker and a bunch of other people, but she plays this, um, girl who goes to visit her boyfriend's family and she's very awkward but she comes mm. off as really bitchy and oh, there's okay. this conversation one of the other like the her boyfriend's brother is um gay and he's deaf and so okay. they're having this conversation around like well i wouldn't wish that on my child i can't believe you know the mom was saying you know i prayed every day that i would have a gay child and he's the only one i got you know kind of jokingly but like we just love him so much and we feel so lucky and she said i would never wish that on my child and you know mm. the whole family kind of attacks her but you kind of look at where she's coming from. It's yeah. all very bad. What she says is bad, but I yeah. think what she means, and I think what a lot of people feel is as parents, we really want to take as much, like we know our kids are going to struggle. Yeah, even totally. if everything is perfect and brilliant in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so as much as possible, we want to take away the pieces that we know are going to make their lives harder, whether mm -hmm. that's you know, being queer or neurodivergence or whatever that looks mm, like. But yeah, I think, you know, to your point, when you look at your child and you say, I know that there is already something here. If we can figure out what this is, that allows us to now come in with mm -hmm. resources that are going to mm -hmm. support the child I have in front of me and not what I wish my child was. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. being in denial or not wanting a diagnosis um, comes just from this fear of like, I don't want my kid's life to be any harder than it has to mm -hmm. be, you know? Mm -hmm. But the kids, my kid's still the same kid before she had a diagnosis. You know what I mean? Like nothing about her totally has changed. We just now have so much more information about her and what her, her needs are. Um, but she's still the same. Like yeah, she's totally. like, nothing has changed. Like all we got was like a piece of paper. <laughs> that well, tells, and that validates that you know the special sort of things she needs help with like she like genuinely needs help with 
Right. Well, and I think especially, you know, if you're a, a parent who's kind of been watching and, and sees these things in your kid to be able to say, you know, yes, I I was right. I knew that there was something going on. You know, I mm-hmm. know my kid well enough to know that mm-hmm. this isn't just we're not just having a hard time. There's actually something else going on here. They're not just being an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think you know? that's like that's a really good place to to like kind of start. So what I'd like to do today is just in my week zero of this experience, reflect back sort of on how uh, on some of the common questions I've had when I have shared things. So the main one is, you know, um, what made me think that there was autism involved. So I I think what we'll do is I'll sort of um, uh, talk a little bit about what spurred me really looking into autism and then kind of reflect back on sort of the things that we noticed. Also recognizing that like I can't emphasize enough that, uh, A, I'm not an autism expert by any shape or form. Like, I am literally the mom of a kid who's known she has a kid, like, officially known she's had a kid with autism for two days. <laughs> but also right. that it is a very complex um, diagnosis. It's a spectrum disorder, and really no two um, people look the same. And that in order to get a diagnosis, you need to see, like, a real, real, real specialist, like mm-hmm. a, a regular general pediatrician cannot diagnose autism. Like you're going to a PhD level psychologist um, or pediatric psychiatrist. Like there's a few different venues. And honestly, those don't even matter because wherever you live, it might actually be different on who does it. Right. But I think it's just really important that um, everything I'm going to say is my experience with my one kid. And just because maybe my kid has similar tendencies to your kid doesn't mean your kid has autism right Right. it's kind of just like this is just this is just our story and I think there's a lot of kids like our kid yeah and whether that shows up in the same way or different ways you know I think that's the other thing we talk about this at length that's literally the genesis of this podcast is everything everybody wants to binarize everything right yeah it's like your autistic kid is going to look exactly like this or they don't have autism but like Mm -hmm. that's not first of all that's not how most mental health works at all or like people Right. And I think that's where, you know, us having this platform to literally suss out, like, what does it look like to be in this really messy middle of something? Mm -hmm. You know, that's where a conversation like this sits, not in the like, let us tell you about how to diagnose your kid or let us tell Mm, you all the things that are wrong with your kid. This is a conversation about like, we're just in the messy middle in this, which Mm -hmm. may look like the same as it looks for you or totally different. And that might mean you're in the same situation or a different situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think, you know, we were, we've talked about this a little bit and I don't know we might expand more on it later, but like there are so many adults who are being diagnosed yeah. with things that they were not diagnosed with as kids. Mm-hmm. And I think women, especially women especially you know and I think it's easy to kind of have this push to like well everybody's got autism now. oh what's what's with everybody ever nobody had autism before like right 
well and it's like oh really like your sure. your grandpa who was like obsessed with world war one trivia and collected model trains he was totally not neurodivergent like no we just had different yeah like words. my grandpa with a phd and like and who invented wood glue do we really not think that maybe the guy who like niched into wood glue <laughs> and i actually PhD think level maybe there right. wasn't something going on there. maybe just a little and i actually i long for a day when and i think probably we will eventually get there i mean or we'll blow up the planet before that but that's a separate podcast topic um that <laughs> you know rather than here's you know here's the work you have to go to to advocate for your neurodiverse kid mm -hmm. it's just a recognition that there is actually almost nothing that is neurotypical in anyone <laughs> and it's just a matter of what pieces and what flavor of neurodiverse you are because it's not actually diverse it's just human <laughs> yeah and I mean I think it's like it's a bell curve really right mm -hmm. all people sort of fit into a bell curve and we decided that the middle of the bell curve was normal and then anything that deviated off in either end was, was abnormal bad right yeah and, th and then it's abnormal is bad rather than just abnormal is different just not the middle of the bell curve right yeah yeah, yeah, I don't know about you, but anytime my kids say, like, that's so weird, I'm like, I think you need to replace the word weird with different or I'm not familiar with that. <laughs> and every time they're like, oh, like, it's not weird. You just don't know. You just never seen it before. <laughs> totally. We do a similar thing in my house, actually, where like weird is a positive word rather than a negative word. Like, yeah. oh, weird. Oh, that's cool. That's weird. Like, right on. Yeah, it's like quirky. <laughs> it's like fun. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So. I also think a big part of talking about this, um, I'm not going to name my friend because I haven't asked for permission, but I have a really close friend who has been very open about her daughter having ADHD. And because she was open about her daughter having ADHD, she was the first person when we were having struggles with my one daughter that I went to and was like, hey, I know you've mentioned that your child has ADHD. Could you tell me a bit about what that experience has been like for you? And I don't know when I would have actually started looking into this for my own kid if I didn't have that one friend who was very um, open about her own situation. And I feel like I am, and I've told her this, I'm hugely indebted to her for being so forward and open because it gave me an avenue to get my kid support earlier. Mm -hmm. And I think we just need more people when, if comfortable, also being really forward and open um, because this isn't taboo. This isn't right. um, embarrassing. Like if your kid has diabetes, they're going to say, oh, I need to be careful what I eat because I have diabetes. And I feel like in the same token, my kid, my kid, I hope at some point is comfortable saying, you know, sometimes I get upset really easily because I have autism. Like, and I think that you can, they're both medical diagnoses. They're mm -hmm. both things that they can't control necessarily. And I, I, I hope that we can sort of get to a place where, there isn't this sort of um, secrecy about it. There's just more openness. Yeah. So, well, yeah, and I go. find it so interesting that like, you know, we still have so far as much, as far as we've come with yeah. like mental health issues. Yeah. You know, even just looking at our parents' generation compared to what our kids. It's you great know. that we don't institutionalize every single person with a difference. <laughs> totally. Like that's, it that's really a is. Big it's move huge. forward. It's huge. Right? But I think like a lot of progress, you know, mm -hmm. we can have these leaps and bounds and then it mm -hmm. still takes, you know, overall quote unquote society that much longer still to yeah. kind of work through that Rome stuff. And wasn't I also built think in a day, Annika. <laughs> Rome wasn't built in a day. You no, know, you weren't there. Maybe it was. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> 
Um, but I also think, you know, in a lot of ways, we still reinforce that, you know, the split, the binary between mental health and physical health with things mm -hmm. like the fact that in Canada, we have physical health support that is, you know, state covered. But the second you have any mental health support issues, you know, it's like your mm -hmm. brain isn't a part of your body when it comes to your health, yeah. your teeth don't count, your mental health doesn't count. Yeah. And so your eyes, you know, can't right. cover those either. Eyes, right. teeth, brain. Nah. Right. No, 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 no. But what? your wrist, no problem. sure. No yeah. problem. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. But I don't think that does us any favors in terms of normalizing you know, medical care is medical care rather than mm -hmm. having it kind of be this separate thing that lives outside of healthcare. Mm -hmm. And I also think that with anything to do with um, mental health, there's often a lot of overlap in terms of like you see many different Venn diagrams and that's where my kids fallen in. So there's a huge overlap between ADHD and autism. And then you'll also see two sort of other Venn diagrams. And one is ADHD, autism, giftedness. Um, mm -hmm. And there actually is like a clinical definition for giftedness. It's not just like a term. We think like, it's actually a thing. Smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lots of people are smart, but giftedness is a different. Um, and then there's ADHD, autism, and anxiety that also overlap. Um, and it, when you start to look into ADHD, autism, and anxiety, it's, it's actually doesn't take long to see how there's an overlap there. I think anytime you feel different from other people or you are more prone to certain emotions, um, you're going to feel anxious about things. You're going to feel more prone to be overwhelmed and and sort of things that go along with anxiety. So there's there's definitely an overlap with all of these things. Um, so for us, uh, we are this kid of ours has always been like an intense personality. So as a baby, she'd like really cry like she'd cry but like it would be like so much louder like in hindsight I didn't really mm -hmm. think anything out of, of the time um very quick to melt down but like when your toddler melts down quickly it's like okay right sure totally yeah. and when there's other siblings in the house there's like things to melt down about right toys getting snatched and like not being able to run as fast as your sister or whatever right like yeah so lots of meltdowns and I think the first time I remember in kindergarten saying to the kindergarten teacher, like, I remember always being very, because we had all these meltdowns at home, I would assume that they would happen at daycare or preschool or whatever, and they never did. And the teachers were always shocked. And I was like, uh, do you guys, like, we have a lot of meltdowns at home, so I'm not really sure if that's an issue here. They're like, no, we've ne what? No, no. And then same thing in kindergarten. No, but you know, it's so common and you hear this all the time when it's a safe right. space, that's uh -huh. where your kid's gonna, you know, let their emotions loose. And that is absolutely true. And that is actually what is happening even with a neurodivergent kid. They're in a safe uh -huh. place. They feel like they can let out those feelings. But by grade one, so we're looking at like a seven-year-old, six, seven-year-old. It's like, at what point do we stop melting down? Right. right? Like, this, And at what point is this like normal meltdown, not normal anymore? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. like this doesn't feel age appropriate uh -huh. anymore. And I remember at the beginning of grade one, sending an email to the teacher saying, hey, like we have a lot of meltdowns at home, never been an issue at school, but like, if there's any problems, let me know. And it got the usual email. Oh, no, that's I'm so surprised to hear that. Like, mm -hmm. no issues at school. Okay. And then by sort of the early, I want to say the new year of last year, 
I was like, that's it. This is not like this is I refuse to believe that there's not something either this is a parenting issue this is right like, there's something there's something right it's it's some combination of my child and us yes. as parents that yeah. we've got to figure out yeah and that's when I had reached out to my friend and my friend said you know my kid actually really reminds you reminds me of your kid and I was like awesome your kid has ADHD you're saying they're very similar let's look into that let's dig around there and totally figure out a hundred percent. So went to the family doctor. We have a lovely, wonderful family doctor and said, hey, yes, even like having a family doctor, like yeah, we have one. I know. Right. Amazing. <laughs> right. The rare, the elusive family physician. Yes. We have a primary <laughs> care provider um, who's wonderful. And I said, hey, like this is what we're experiencing. And like my friend said, it's similar to her kid. Her kid has ADHD. So I'm wondering if we should look at ADHD. And I remember her. My kid was in the room. And she looked at me, she's like, she doesn't have ADHD, but you can take these forms. We'll screen her. But like, this kid doesn't have ADHD. And I was like, okay. She was really nice about it. She wasn't dismissive. She was more like, don't worry, mom. Like, like it's like, like we'll it's look okay. into this, but this like doesn't look like ADHD. Yeah. So we did. So the screening forms here, um, I think they're called a snap form. It doesn't matter. It's like um, for kids, it's a form that the parents fill out and then a form that the teacher fills out. And it basically, it's almost like the, you know how the report cards go from like needs improvement to like, it, it's like, does it a lot? Does it sometimes? Does it a little sort of thing? It's like, you, know, yeah. you pick the column. And so my sheet was like, does it often or all the time for a lot of the boxes? But the teacher's sheet was like, none. It was like two opposite forms. Like they were mirror images of each other. And our family doc was like, yeah, I mean, for diagnosis of ADHD, it has to show up in, two, in the two different domains, school and home. So this is mm -hmm. not conclusive for ADHD. I was like, okay, well, we tried. But I still really wanted a peds referral to a pediatrician. And so I was like, you know, she snores a lot at night and she's not a good sleeper. So I'm wondering if we should like rule out a structural thing for her sleep. I, rem like, I remember yeah. like having these conversations yeah. with you and you're like, not a good sleeper. It, maybe, not it's, a good got, sleeper. it's not this. So it's got to be something else. Maybe yeah. it's this. Let's take a yeah. look at it. Is she super moody? Cause she never sleeps well. Right. Okay. <laughs> that seems reasonable. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, and she's always, she's never woken us up. She stays in her room, but like she will like, I'll get up sometimes like I'm a morning person. I'll be up at like 5am and I'll see the light on in her room. So like at some point she's like turn awake enough that she just is like turn she's the light given on. up on sleep. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And this is an ongoing sort of thing. Okay, fine. So we're put in the peds referral. And then eventually a few weeks later, I think I just, I had emailed the teacher and just said, look, I appreciate that everything is fine at school. Everything is not fine at home. We are not coping. We are having daily meltdowns before we go to school, after school. It's like a good day is one meltdown. And I'm talking like screaming, kicking, hitting, like name calling, like full tantrum. This isn't just meltdowns. me as a mom being like, oh, like my kid is having a hard time. No. This is like meltdowns. Yeah. And I said, I want a psych ed. I didn't even really know what a psych ed was. I just knew that they did them for kids. You know, you know, you want it. <laughs> I was like, all the kids with designations have a psych ed. I want a psych ed. Also, my mom used to be a teacher who worked a lot with, um, she worked with blind and visually impaired kids. So she worked a lot with kids on the spectrum and who had differences. So I was like, 
I'm told I, I need a psych ed um, and I want to meet with the resource teachers. Like we need to look into this more. So then I met with the teachers and the, e, the educational assistant for a class said, you know, now that I look at her, like mm. she's really, she doesn't just sit at her desk. She's like tense at her desk. She like squares her chair in. So she's blocked her little body into her desk. And she's like, not just like paying attention. She's like hyper vigilantly paying attention, but she's not loud. Right. Mm -hmm. She's not running around the room. She's not mm -hmm. commanding attention, which is why nobody had never noticed anything before. And so my first clue is I said, well, can you try giving her a wiggle seat? Mm. See if she likes it. And they're like, well, mm -hmm. she's not hyperactive and it's the wiggly kids. I was like, can you just try it? Cause like at home she wiggles all over the place when she's sitting right. down. Yeah. And they try that. She loved it. She's like, oh my gosh, I got this new chair at school. And she loved it. And I thought, okay, I don't think a neurotypical kid would like be just thrilled to pieces about a wiggle seat. And so that was kind of the first where I was like, okay, there's, there is more here, but our system is slow. Mm-hmm. And we waited so that honestly, seeds... like damagingly slow when you look at yeah. what a kid who really needs support and how hard it is for them to get that. It, it well, really is heartbreaking. And and it became very clear that we were going to have to pursue anything privately because she did not flag. There were no flags within the school system. She was not internally. No one was going to flag her for assessment. Right. Because there were no issues at school, literally zero socializing, seemingly normally, according to like any adult watching mm -hmm. academically, no problem. It seemed normal. There was nothing to flag them on their side. And this is, I think, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this in more detail, but like, this is where mm -hmm. I think we have, we see this huge influx of adult women, especially mm -hmm. going through diagnosis of stuff because it doesn't look like it's not visible. It's not disrupting the class, mm -hmm. throwing stuff, you know, having to get up, clicking pens. It's not any of that. It looks really, really different. And so mm -hmm. it's, it becomes invisible. I think like so many, I, just, I was just chatting with my girlfriend last week about her endometriosis. And I think mm, it, this is the yeah. same thing. It's like, oh, it's just in your head. We really haven't progressed that much beyond a hysterical woman is you know, just being crazy and there's nothing wrong mm -hmm. with her, you know, mm -hmm. unfortunately it, within the medical system, mm -hmm. systemically, yeah. not that yeah. there aren't very positive experiences with individual providers, but mm -hmm. systemically, I think overall, this is something that we still bump up, bump up against. Well, case in point, the screening tool alone right. excluded her from an ADHD diagnosis. And so we ended up, it wasn't till I want to say end of September, early October, that we actually saw a pediatrician. So what is that, like six, seven months? But at the end of August, I emailed her teacher for the next year and said, who I know because my um, I've had like kids in the same school for a while. I know all the teachers. And I emailed her and said, hey, like, I honestly think my kid has autism. Like, that's what I think is happening here. I, uh, I'm waiting on all this stuff. But like, Please well, at, at let me know what I'm supposed to do. Let me know how I can help you. And at this point too, like you've gone down enough of your, as I, as I know you and I both really hate the phrase, like do your own research, oh, I know. but sometimes we're left to, you know, yeah. 
figure out what we can when the system leaves us without resources or information about yeah. things that we're dealing with. Yeah. And to be fair, me doing my own research started with going to a, a psychologist, like a therapist, mm -hmm. and talking to her about it. Oh, a professional? A professional. <laughs> um, because we thought, okay, we need help parenting, right? Mm -hmm. And she right. was the one who really sort of helped tease out where we were at. But it wasn't till so then school starts and I get an email from the resource teacher saying, hey, like got your email from the other teacher. Like, let's meet up. Let's see what assessments you've got booked. Let's see if there's any other ones that we would recommend. Let's just sort of see where we're at, which was super helpful. So I met with them and they said, you know, um, if you're thinking autism, you should do a speech language um, communication assessment with a speech language pathologist. And I was like, oh, and I'm very familiar with SLP, speech language pathology, from like a hospital standpoint. But I, mm. and of course it makes sense that they deal with communication because it's all speech and language <laughs> right. and <Right>. pathology. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's not necessarily the first person you think of as no, a support I'm provider like when you're thinking speech about speech impediment or you know what I mean? right? Yeah. yeah. And this, I have to say, unsung heroes, uh, SLP. Hmm. And within 20 minutes, so they said, okay, this is the SLP that comes through the school. She's great. I'd heard lots of good things about her. So I just emailed her and she, within 20 minutes of the first assessment, she looked at me, she said, oh, she totally has autism. Mm -hmm. And that was the first person. And she's like, I like can't diagnose autism. Who's yeah, like, she's like validating what you yeah. feel. She's like, I can't diagnose autism. I can diagnose, I can, um, like I can look for, um, like tendencies in communication that lean towards autism mm -hmm. and your child has like in all the domains of communication exhibited these high flag tendencies for autism. And so that was my first like, oh, thank goodness this last, you know, almost year or I guess about eight months, like real push hasn't been for absolutely nothing. nothing. Right, right. Yeah. And even when we saw the pediatrician, because keep in mind, like these are short visits. Right. And the of first pediatrician are. visit was a phone interview or Zoom interview because so much of its history versus actually looking at a kid. Like, right. Did, We're just like gathering yeah. data at this point. Does yeah. she line up toys? Yes, she does. Does she you're, like all of these random sort of things that you never thought about before? And you're like, oh, gosh, I don't. <laughs> No, does she follow your finger when you're pointing at something? God, I don't know. I haven't never thought about it, right? <laughs> totally, totally. Um, and after the pediatrician said that all the things I said were high flags for autism, but when she assessed my kid, she said mm. it was very, very, very subtle. But she supported, like, she supported further investigation for right. autism. I'm not necessarily seeing a kid in dire need. And she can't diagnose it anyways, because general peds cannot diagnose autism. Right. right. But even as a pediatrician, she was like, what you tell eh. me, yes. What I right. see, I'm not so sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is hard, too, because I think for a lot of parents, especially when and we talk about this at length, like the world is fucking nuts right now expectations on us are insane oh, the know. amount of money everything costs is insane mm -hmm. the expectation of a uh, work lack of life balance is insane yeah. you know i think a lot of times 
when you're going through this, if you're told that by a healthcare provider, it becomes like, oh God, like, is it really worth us continuing to spend all this energy to do this if this isn't what's happening anyway, Mm -hmm. you know, and putting our child through this and putting, you know, my partner and I through this and And the rest of the family energy because the SLP assessment was about, I don't know, 500 bucks. We did an OT occupational therapy sensory assessment because once the pediatrician said, you know, what you tell me sounds like yes, but what I see, I I don't know. I was like, okay, so we need to beef up our portfolio for this psychologist. So we did an occupational therapy sensory assessment. That was about 500 bucks. By the time we finished the psych ed, which you really need to do a psychoeducational assessment. And is there, is there any way, like, is that, and I know obviously just for context, if you don't know, we're in British Columbia in Canada. Mm -hmm. So it's different for every province specific to us here, but is there any way for that to be covered? Or is that just always something that's going to be out of pocket or like you could have it covered if you can wait five years? Yeah. So I think there is a public referral system and the wait's very long. The quoted waits for us to privately have an autism assessment were anywhere between 10 to 24 months. And that's for a $5,000 assessment. Paying out of your $5,000. Yeah. Out of pocket. Um, My benefits will cover $2,000 a year for psychology. Uh, We haven't submitted, like we have to get it all then do part two through Dave's whatever. But, but I mean, we did the math. We to date have spent $10,000 ish in the last eight months to get to the point of a diagnosis. Well, and that's not even like now moving forward, there's going to be additional cost. If there will be funding support there. So in BC, we will have access to funding for, I believe it's $6,000 a year, which is approximately six months worth of the stuff that she needs, which the rest, hopefully, I mean, it's enough for our family. It's a, that makes it doable. Um, If we were to pay, uh, yeah, this is the thing that drives me crazy. Like anybody who's even just a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, barely hanging on it, it, Again, like why brains don't count as a part of our bodies? Well, and I even looked, if I went back to, if I paid into, like I'm a casual as a bedside nurse and I thought, okay, if I pay the 450 a month for benefits, because mm-hmm. that's that still cheaper than the 1200 a month we totally. were spending. No, there still isn't coverage. So I could have unlimited massage therapy, <laughs> but like $200 a year. In Which SLP. like, I mean, great, but like that doesn't. Like what about this particular situation with something that is really critical, right? Well, this is the thing. So, I mean, and I think that's why for me, there was just so much relief this week because we had spent so much money, so -hmm. much energy into something that we had been told wasn't really there. Right. And then at a number of levels, right? At a number of levels, respectfully. Now, I will say this. We were not dismissed by anybody in the healthcare system. Amazing and certainly not the experience everybody is going to have. We were not discriminated against. We were not dismissed. We received the referrals that we asked for, even though the family doctor, it wasn't her professional opinion, but she was happy because I wanted it to do the PEDS referral um, the pediatrician actually did diagnose ADHD despite the mismatched SNAP forms. 
because she said that um, my kid was just masking at school. So it's not that she didn't have those symptoms at school. It's that she was intentionally she figured, not showing she them. She figured out that it wasn't she wasn't supposed to have them yeah. at school. So she just pushed yeah. through not having yeah. them at school. And I think yeah. this is the other piece. And I know we've talked about this a lot kind of off mic. But like as especially as girls and as women, you know, we build in these safeguards in our lives around the pieces of ourselves that we think will be not accepted or we feel like are broken or, totally. you know, don't allow us to kind of look or act, quote unquote, the way that we're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the toll that that actually has on our physical and mental health is dismissed because mm-hmm. all that people see is what's being presented, not mm-hmm. what's underneath of that or what's even really going on. A hundred percent. And I mean, the interesting thing is, though, when the psychologist called me on Wednesday and she said, you know, I don't normally call people and give them results, but because I was very upfront with her, I was like, I keep getting told there's nothing abnormal about my kid, but I am positive she has autism. Like, mm-hmm. I am sure. Like, even in my head, I had kept her on all the wait lists for the other psychologists because if we didn't get in a, a positive for this one, I was like, whatever. In a year when we come up on the next list, we'll just try it again. Like, yeah. it, it, like I was so sure of it mm-hmm. um and when she called on wednesday she said like and the odd the, they finished the assessment really quickly she's like she was off the charts like she didn't even like for every part of the autism assessment like i can't remember what they're standardized like i think there's a few different standardized tools they have to use for criteria she was like boom boom like it was just so so obvious Mm-hmm. But what I realized, and I, I did tell her this as feedback, is I said, you know, I decided not to prep my kid for this assessment. I just told her we were going for an assessment. Which is because... so smart and not something somebody's going to think about. But especially when you're used to, I know the child in front of me needs to be prepared for everything we do. So I'm just going to do yeah. the same thing I always do. Here's what we're going to do. You know, walking through it step by step, whatever tools yeah. you have built in yourself to your own life to manage, you know, mm-hmm. your child's neurodiversity. So because... good for you for seeing that though. You well, because what we used to always do. Or what we do is like, okay, we're going here. You're going to make sure that you're looking at your coach like and listening with your eyes when there's, mm-hmm. because eye contact isn't like, she makes eye contact because she knows she's supposed to, right. not because it, it's like a natural instinct for her. Right. So we'll be like, okay, you're going to, okay, you're going to swim club. You're going to look at your coach when they're talking so that you're listening with your eyes and they know you're listening. You're going to keep your body still and you're going to focus. None of that thing where you like do handstands in the shallow end. Like it doesn't matter if the other kids are doing it. Like, and it'll literally be like, as we're going in, okay, we're going into soccer. You're going to listen to your coach. Like, it's like a running dialogue of like the rules for that activity. Mm-hmm. Because without those rules, she, and it's not like we were intentionally doing that because we don't do that with our other kids. We didn't, no, but I didn't it's, realize we were doing it. It's just you. It's the safeguards you've built into yeah. your life without even recognizing this is how we as a family have managed my child's neurodiversity. Yeah. Especially in venues where kids are unpredictable. So like mm. soccer, her coach is awesome and everything's very like in line. But swimming, the coaches are teenagers. There's some really active boys and they don't necessarily have their behavior corrected. And if you're a kid who, which is like, fine, I give zero shits how other people's kids are behaving. It's probably I actually don't care. But 
where it's a problem is that my kid will go in and because she doesn't have that innate sense of like the rule book for how to behave in places, she just observes. And this came up on her psych ed. Her processing time is like incredibly fast and she takes in her entire surroundings and like figures out that. what okay, how's everybody else do. behaving. That's what I'm going to do. So if you've got a bunch of like boys being like boisterous boys kind of goofing off, then she's like, oh, that's how we behave here. Oh, we're supposed to be goofing off. Okay, I can do yeah, We're supposed off. to be goofing off. Oh, we're supposed to be, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So she just doesn't have that. Whereas my other kids would be like, God, those guys are being such idiots. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. go anywhere near them. That it's is like, not how we behave here. Totally. Yeah, totally. So I think it's just if you have a kid where you've for a while wondered, like, is this normal or not? I think it's always worth just looking into it because it's not about labels it's not about saying oh if my if you think oh is my kid like is this neurodivergence or whatever like it may or may not be like that's not really the point it's more that there are specific tools for these kids to have that can be really helpful with them growing up um and the younger they are the easier it is to implement that stuff to help them mm -hmm. um there is a lot of opinions about whether um, and we've talked about this a bit, Annika, about whether, you know, giving kids those social tools is, um, you know, just forcing the, them to conform with a neurotypical world. And there's, you know, debate about do you do that or do you just let them, you know, be. And I think that's a very individual decision. Mm -hmm. um, for our kids, she looks neurotypical. And right. she... Um, the psychologist put it really well. She's like, you know, these kids, these high masking kids absolutely can learn how to behave in environments. They just need they're to doing learn. it all the time. They're doing it all the time. They just need right. to learn how to do it in a way that doesn't leave them so depleted that they're Deplete melting down. Them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's getting those different sort of those, um, you know, whether it's sensory needs or, you know, and every kid's different, right? There's mm -hmm. no one way to do it. But um, so it's just going to give her more tools to work with. Mm -hmm. And I hope, I really hope that when she's older, she's comfortable just telling people she has autism. Mm -hmm. um, I know there's some thought that it can be sort of weaponized against that person. And I kind of feel like that's actually a them problem. Like we shouldn't, yeah. I don't, I'm of the my, mindset. My kids yeah. shouldn't have to pretend they're somebody else because you know, that teacher that, can't handle who my kid is or yeah. that other kid does has a preconceived notion about what that means about my kid. And also I think it's changing because there are so many, and actually we can link it in the show notes. There's a great, um, we can do hard things podcast where mm. they talk to a woman who has autism and was like, like late diagnosed, like as an adult. And if you listen to the experience of um, people with autism, people with um, late diagnosed ADHD, um, there's a real sense of relief in knowing that there's they're not defective because a mm. lot of these people grow up yeah. thinking that there's really something wrong with them. I'm stupid. I yeah. can't figure out the things that other people just know and it's because I'm dumb, not yeah. just I You're my brain wired is wired different. differently. Yeah. Like I'm mm -hmm. literally wired to not pick up on people's you know, emotional cues or whatever. My brain and, doesn't synapse that way. And that's yeah. okay. <laughs> right. And there are ways that you can create adaptations so that you can have a bit less trouble in that area. Mm -hmm. Um, 
It's really, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. It's, it's, what's interesting is how many people, and I think this is where you get a lot of like, everybody's got ADHD, everybody's got blah. And it's like, well, no, it's evolving diagnostic criteria. Mm. And the SNAP forms, the pediatrician, when I talked to her today was like, we've talked about this. And I told her, I'm like, these forms are stupid, like actually <laughs> dumb because you have to have it show up in two different places. And you know that there's a big chunk of kids with ADHD that don't misbehave at school that don't. Mm -hmm. She's like, I know it's all we've got. She's like, it's, this is the tool we've got. And she was prepared to make the diagnosis with the mismatched snap forms. But the psychologist was like, Oh no, I can do it. Right. Don't, don't, worry. <laughs> don't worry. This is not the first time I've seen this. I yeah, understand yeah. So that, but I think works. it's, it's whenever you see an increase in diagnosis of anything, your first question should be, did the diagnostic criteria change? Hmm. Not mm -hmm. like, Oh, did we all of a sudden we decided everybody's got ADHD? It's like, well, no, right? Like when you look at the autism rates increasing, you know, at what was it, the 70s or the 80s? Well, that's because the criteria changed that's and they were actually all of a sudden people figured out people. that autism existed. <laughs> right? Right? And it wasn't and just this, like, let's just inst again, like this is literally two generations ago. We're still institutionalizing people who we didn't understand. Right. So I know. And I don't actually know the numbers, but like once they sort of, they got rid of Asperger's syndrome and classify, they sort of broadened the criteria for autism. Guess what? You're going to get an increase. I'm sure right. if you look, there's going to be more kids with autism because yeah. they used to be called something else and now they've, right. you know, moved the diagnosis over. Well, so, and this is the other tricky thing about it being a spectrum, right? Again, like yeah. we talked about at the beginning, people want it to be, you know, like diabetes looks like yes. this, right? Yeah. You can do this blood test and yeah. <laughs> cancer, you know, looks like this. It's an on off switch, you know, but yeah. it's just not, it's never going to look like that. And the more no. we expect it, the more we undercut really giving not just kids, adults too, but giving mm -hmm. people the leeway and the resources they need to be able to live the best way that they can. And I think kind of mm -hmm. to what you were saying, you know, there are this idea that there's this, you know, kind of two schools of thought, like, should we force our neuro yeah. divergent kid to adapt to a neurotypical world? Or do we, you know, let them be who they are, whatever that looks like. I think a, it, it has to depend on your child, but B, it doesn't have to be that binary. You can no. let them be who they are and have them exist in the world. Those two things can happen concurrently, you know? Mm -hmm. Totally. I think it's also really important to highlight just how vulnerable parents are when they're looking mm -hmm. into this sort of thing, because yeah. I am a well-resourced person. Mm -hmm. I have friends that are doctors. I have friends, who, doctors who know my kid and did not notice the autism, right? I have a mom who's a retired, like, special ed, specialized teacher. I have, like, my well, like our wonderful friend Lee, who like was a special ed teacher forever and a therapist. And you know what I mean? Like I mm -hmm. had a lot of people to ask who knew what they were talking about. And it still mm -hmm. was a freaking nightmare. Well, and I think that's not even right? addressing, you know, let's look at the the other axis of privilege that a lot of people going through this don't have. If, mm -hmm. you know, if you're BIPOC, if you're, you know, struggling with a disability yourself, if you're, mm -hmm. All, if you're already neurodiverse, you know, the mm -hmm. climbing the mountain to advocate for your child and, and having a medical system dismiss you because of your own issues or because of the color mm -hmm. of your skin or because 
you know, of a million other reasons, the reality is if, I mean, we, we talk about this with, you know, sexual assault with celebrities, if a celebrity, if, you know, the most famous well-resourced celebrity can't report it, how on earth do the rest of us have yeah. anything? If those of us who have privilege and means struggle with it, you know, what does that mean for everybody else? And I think this mm -hmm. is the piece that we keep coming back to is, you know, this is a systems level change that is required. Oh, to, yeah. To capture the people that need this support, you know? Well, and I mean, I found our psychologist by like asking people i was like i feel like you mentioned once right. that your daughter has autism like do you have a psychologist who did your testing like there's just from a even from that standpoint because there's these big sort of autism um like clinics that the doctors will be like oh hey like yeah able clinic and like yeah that's great but they have an 18 month wait right that's not good enough and that's no. for private assessment right that's if you have the financial that's if you can spend five to... grand yeah out of pocket yeah. Right. And may or may not be getting any of that back. Right. So I yeah. think that um, there's just a there's so many barriers and it really lends people to getting shitty information. Mm -hmm. It leaves desperate parents who some of them just don't want their kid to have autism. They don't want their kid to be different. Mm -hmm. Right. And then this is where like the wellness industry can kind of swoop in and it can get yeah. really ugly really quickly. Yeah. And I think right. this is too like that piece that we were talking about, like, you know, oh, everybody has autism, everybody has ADHD, yeah. you know, as if it's something that has happened because of vaccines or medication or yeah. what's in the water or, you know, all of these other conspiracies around this. When the reality is we're actually just finally starting to recognize it's looking genetic. at a child <laughs> in front. Well, and looking at a yeah. child in front of us and saying, I see who this child is mm -hmm. rather than, you know, I expect this child to be somebody else. I mean, we talked about this when we, um, a little bit when we talked about, you know, kind of like what I see in the fundamentalist community around yeah. like, you know, your child is your property, mm -hmm. essentially, right? So they need to become who you want them to be, rather mm -hmm. than they need to be who they are. And that will allow them to become whoever they're supposed to be, not just who you want them to be. And I think yeah. there's some of that here intentionally or unintentionally, mm -hmm. because, you know, we, we always want what's we want the easiest possible lives for our children well and for us too yeah <laughs> yeah and especially again if you are somebody who you know you know you don't have those resources you know it it's gonna feel a lot easier to just kind of step back from it yeah easier and in mean, the moment for you even though it's actually probably way harder for your kid yeah. and probably actually harder for you too harder for you but but even like if you go to any of these most of the intake forms that you have to fill out to go on a private wait list take forever to fill right. out. Yeah. Like you're filling out and they're all slightly different. It's not like there's a standardized form. So it's not like you just like copy and paste or whatever. Like you will spend hours yeah. finding people, filling out the form, you know, like touching base. Hey, am I still on just your wait following list? Up. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. it was all encompassing um and exhausting and now it's just and i said from the beginning you know this chapter ends on assessment day because mm -hmm. whatever happens after that it's the mm -hmm. next chapter mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that when you've got a good psychologist they're going to give you recommendations regardless of diagnosis 
Mm -hmm. right? Because they're not just going, oh, hey, we did the testing. Your kid doesn't have autism. Next. They're going right. to hey, hey, these are the things that I see in your kid. This yeah. is why it's not autism. But here are the other things that I think we, you know, can yeah. look at or talk about to support the kid. A hundred percent. So, yeah. I mean, this is it. Week zero. Hallelujah. Step <laughs> one of uh, the next lifetime of steps. <laughs> totally. But at least we know what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's you have like a path a plan. in front of you now. A hundred percent. And it's going to be evolving. Everything's a phase, Mm -hmm. right? What's working Mm -hmm. now might not work in two years, right? Well, God, that's just parenting anyways, right? (laughs) Well, totally. It's just like more expensive parenting. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that story, Jenny. I feel like this is just such an important conversation to have in this way, not just in a clinical, Mm -hmm. you know, here's what to do with your autistic kid kind of way but in a you know let's have a conversation about what it looks like to advocate for your kid in a system that is not designed to help them (laughs) even when every component of the system wants to help totally which is kind of the thing that's the most fucked up about it is it's Mm -hmm. like our family doctor wanted nothing more than to help us (laughs) pediatric like everybody genuinely wanted the Mm -hmm. best but your 15 minute appointment that's not good enough. No. And that's all the system allows unless they yeah. want to work for free. And nobody should have to work for free. No. Again, like <laughs> this is a symptom of a broken system, not, yeah. you know, a, a level of of not caring at any other place. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's 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 an example of a system that by all accounts worked, but totally didn't at the same time. Right. This is the this is the system working how it's supposed to and it's a hot mess. Yeah. A hundred percent. Thanks so much for listening to Email. We really appreciate your support. And if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the world to us.